Jumping in on Manx Radio with Howard and Chris Kane. Hello. Good evening. And welcome. Here we are again, Saturday night on Manx Radio. The weather might be a bit rubbish as we head into autumn. However, we have something of a special for you this evening. Haven't had one for a while. All will be revealed for a moment here on Jumping In with myself, H. And we, Chris, yes, welcome along to this week's show. Yet another special. How do we find the time to get all these great jazz stars and great interviews? More to the point, how do we persuade them to talk to us? Well, mainly because Jumping In is a show highlighting the very best in modern contemporary jazz and obviously the words got out. So, as we finally say goodbye to the extended summer, or do we, dot, 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 we dig into the woodpile for a batch of fresh jazz kindling to keep the heat up and the rain out. So, H, what have you been gathering in for your Harvest Festival, and what is a bit beyond the best-before date from the bottom of the barrel? Uh, well, it's very easy. It's all about Steve Tibbetts. Steve Tibbetts, indeed, and for me, a sunrise, a renewal, a test, so pay attention, especially you at the back, and to get us going, a perhaps end of summer, but a summer dance from Marius Nesset and the Norwegian Radio Orchestra.
Live, you might have guessed, in front of an enthusiastic audience at the Norwegian Radio NRK's legendary store studio. A large live stage recording venue with plenty of guest room, and that was Summer Dance from sax star Marius Nasset, spending his time these days split between touring with his long-standing quartet of pianist Ivo Neem, bassist Peter Eld and drummer Anton Eger, and writing and recording orchestral music, and as you gathered in this instance, combining the best of both worlds. Marius says the album title Summer Dance is a reference to the place where he wrote the music in the summer of 2018, the Greek island of Santorini. He also says if you listen carefully, rhythmically it's quite interesting. The sax plays in 4-4, the marimba reads a pattern in 5-8, the bass repeats a pattern in 9-16, and the left hand of the piano plays a pattern in 7-16. And if you listen extremely carefully, I know H is nodding away there, the right hand of the piano is a homage to Miles Davis's Milestones. Yeah, you've got to listen extremely carefully. A great listen, Summer Dance, out now on the Act label, who very kindly sent us a copy. Terrific stuff and uh, oh, a wonderful chap, yeah, one of the few guys. All the British guys, I remember one time we interviewed Marius and a couple of other the British guys at the uh, Southport Festival, it was, I think. The British guys were also, yeah, we'll just go out for a beer and a fag. And Marius was a case of, I'll finish my banana and nuts, then if I just let me do my yoga and breathing exercises, then I'll speak to you. Yeah, <laughs> yes. very, very different take. Um, a very, very different take on guitar and music in general, perhaps, is our man who's our special featured artist this evening, Steve Tibbetts, been around since, ooh, 1970s and certainly we both came to know him through his work on uh, our favourite album I think of his uh, Bye Bye Safe Journey or just Safe Journey on ECM a man who sees the studio as part of the instrumental process and sort of uses it as a, a second instrument I guess and uh, quite a sort of recluse in a way he hasn't actually done anything live I think for quite some time so we've never managed to see him live but he's still working on a new project as we found out when we caught up with him down the line from his uh, house and a rather fine looking studio I think over in Minnesota the great Steve Tibbetts so it's a great delight to welcome the wonderful Steve Tibbetts to uh, jumping in uh, good afternoon to you, Steve thanks ever so much for spending a few minutes to talk to us it's my pleasure to be here and of course he's got his guitar as well which is even better he just does look like his publicity photo it's uncanny um <laughs> people will be aware any fans of yours who've been listening over the last 10 20 30 add however many years you like to your music and the albums will have seen the anthology out hellbound train was was this a, was this an easy task to actually sort of try and condense all those years of work into just a couple of albums or was this something that you had to sweat over for years I have nothing but time. <laughs> so really, I mean, you can you can let things stretch out as long as they take. And that's what I did. I set up, uh, I began to put this together just as a way to send my music to radio stations like yours. I mean, the last thing you'd want to get is a box of 13 CDs from me. You think, this is just too much. Go on, so, <laughs> well, it's it's easier for some some stations just to get uh, a three CD set, two CD set. So I put it together and it just took on its own energy. I sent one to Steve Lake at ECM and said, Steve, I think this would sell. Yeah, you want to give me the licensing rights? And he said, no, we want to put it out. So that's how it came. So I just I just uh, worked hard with the beginning of every song and the end of every other song and put them together and it began to sort of weld itself like any sort of outsider art. And did it amaze you that some pieces work better together than others? Oh yeah, some of them don't work together at all. And I'd, I'd have to rely on people like Mark Anderson to come in and say, that doesn't work at all, Steve. I know you want it to work, but it doesn't work. 
Now, coming back to a long and a very fruitful relationship with the ECM records, I remember reading what, if it's true that when you were invited originally by Manfred to take an opportunity to come in the studio, you said you would prefer to have some multi-track equipment for your own studio to record at home. Yeah, I said, I'm not, I don't want to come over to Norway and spend three days recording. It's That's crazy. Just give me some time and let me do something for you. And they said, we're a production company. Take it or leave it. I mean, they didn't put it like that. They said something in German, probably. But um, but that was that was the deal. It worked out OK. It was fun to go over there. It was my first time out of the country was to go to Norway and record with Manfred Eicher. So we were petrified. And that, that was for Northern Song, yeah? That was for Northern Song. Yeah, we were sweating bullets all the way over there. Did you feel he didn't have enough time really to, to, to do that justice? Personally, I've always really liked it, but I know some of the critics were a bit sniffy at the time. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> have you not liked that album yourself or have you grown into it? I think it now has a following without a doubt. but It does. No, I didn't like it at all. I, I complained vociferously about it to Jan Garberick, who had come down to, to hear the playback. Manfred called him up and said, come over and listen to this guitar player. We're done with the record. And no, I did. It, it was because Mark's Kungas went flat for the last 10 minutes of the of one piece where I was supposed to bring in all these loops and uh, they wouldn't work. Manfred said, it's too many. It's too many loops anyway. Yeah. So this works just fine the way it is. So I got sniffy, as you might say, my vision didn't come through, but he was the producer. So he gets a say in it.
It's interesting looking back actually for looping particularly as a style of building uh, building compositions that long before loopers became a thing when when tape involved uh, I remember making my own tape loops having long pieces running up a two track around a milk bottle and around a pencil to go back to give me uh, loops to record on and uh, of course but you you were uh, using loops right at the start of putting all this wonderful music together in the same way I suppose John Sermon famously on uh, on ECM has used loops for long before the technology changed to allow simple live looping to be a thing. Do you think there's a great influence in the way the youngsters are using this technology today? Well it's it's more open-ended which makes it sometimes too easy to loop mindless ridiculous uh, um, repetitive stuff that just doesn't get any traction. Uh, yeah, I did it like like you were talking about with a pencil and a loop and then held it next to the Revox uh, recorder and let it spool out for a while. When I took my loops over to to Norway, they were on reels. We, we uh, let them extend. But somehow they seemed more golden, more precious when you were actually holding a pencil up and letting this thing turn around. You'd think about tomorrow never knows and... Paul over there and um, George Martin probably holding something or so it was it was different so when it comes to music yeah, obviously on, on the on the one hand known for your use of of uh, looping synthesis melding things together taking samples and melding it all into the music is the acoustic music and the the looping the electronic side of things are they very separate in your own mind or do you do you think about them in the same way they're all marks of desperation. <laughs> I'll try anything. And sometimes a loop is just the easiest thing to go to, to get a good a drone happening on the bottom. Then you're good. Then you could just play over it. Uh, I admire people that can just, just sit down and write at a piano and it's all there, but I need all the help I can get. Loops, electronics, I'm good. The only problem is these days is limiting yourself, but financial concerns can do that for you too. I think the interesting thing is that you're talking about how, and I fully agree that a lot of people use the modern technology to short, repetitive, boring, mindless loops. But ironically, for the first time, perhaps in, well, certainly for a lot of people who come from my generation, would be delighted to have access to the ability to loop as long as they like almost, even on their mobile phones. You, you can build really complicated and, uh, and expressive and interesting music with the technology that's out there now. And perhaps you're right, maybe there is too much technology and not enough time spent learning to, to exploit it to the best. Sometimes I think some, uh, some of my better music was when I just had eight tracks. <laughs> you, got, you have to decide. Either you mix it down and open up two tracks or you go home. You start from the beginning of the song, normally with a chord sequence or a harmonic structure, or do you start with a rhythmic structure as a rule? So I know you're as multi-instrumentalist. There's a great deal of different percussive and, uh, and various ethnic instruments, uh, kalimba and the like, utilized. Where, where is your normal inspiration grab? Is it from around and about or, or from the guitar? My dad's 12 string. It all comes from this now. I even had, I thought, it's too hard to switch from this to electric guitar. So I had a 12-string electric guitar made up with the same kind of string, but that didn't work at all. So it's usually acoustic. Well, I tried, but you can't 
you can't bend the bend the strings of a of an electric twelve string very well. I'd come home with fingers that were in bad shape. So I remember being amazed actually, and we interviewed him a little while ago uh, with Ralph Towner when I first came across his music many, many years ago, thinking that's impossible to do on a 12-string. But it, again, I suppose it's classical training, this very, very strong thing is that you're absolutely right. You can't bend like uh, the opening, perhaps, of a uh, long journey. Fantastic piece of music, which uh, has been a great record. Uh, that you, you have to have an electric to do that, I guess. Yeah, you do.
you go out live very often, and if you do so with other musicians, is it a totally different style of coaching music or different compositions than you would record in the normal way you put together the multi-tracking that we hear today? Yeah, that's always a problem. You want to sort of reproduce what you do uh, on the record without, you don't want to use backing tracks. I think that's cheating. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you got to get out there and play for people. So we win, uh, Mark and I, we winnow things down and we d are not slaves to our looping machines, but occasionally they do come in. We just make up for it with raw volume. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're mentioning, Mark, uh, you, you, your association with Mark goes what, back to sort of school days, back to early days? Uh, back to 1979 when I saw him playing to an empty ballroom. <laughs> at the University of uh, Minnesota St. Paul campus he, with his band and he was um, he was soloing like he had been mounted by a demon so aloha he was he was something and I thought well this guy will work out well in the studio and he sure did and and again he's been instrumental in so many of your great albums now is it something do you have that sort of telepathic feeling between you now when you're working together or how does that work well he's also he's a good you can hear his musical talent, obviously, on the record, but he's a good psychologist and a good assessor of what works and what doesn't work. I'll come up. I work alone all the time, a lot. You know how artists are when they work alone. They get kind of inbred. You know, they sort mm. of uh, mate with themselves over and over, and these ideas come up. Mark will put up with that and then say, Steve, it's a really good idea, and I know you worked on it a lot, but why don't you just let me play it? And then we'll finally come to that. And that was the right thing to do. And how, how do you find other artists who fit, sort of fit into your aesthetic, as it were? Because long-time association with Mark Anderson doing steel drum and gongs and hand-pan congas, as you mentioned, with the likes of Bob Hughes or Mike Olson or Marcus Wise, are these people you hear somewhere else and think, you know what, they would fit into my sound world? Uh, Mike Olson was just sort of a pest. He said, Let, I want to do something. Let's do something. I want to do something. And I said, all right, send me a throbbing uh, Eno-esque uh, rhythm track made from your modular synthesizers and then leave me alone. And he sent me something and it was fantastic. And we just, we just jammed in the studio on it and it came out great. Marcus Wise, I tried, I was going to study tabla for a while, but um, my hands are like little baby hands, sort of. You need strong hands to play tabla. So that didn't work, but he was he ended up being tabla player for me. Everybody else comes through Mark or through random chance. Like I ran into Choying Jolma, the singer, when I was working in, in Nepal, working a, a translator friend of mine said, come down and let's hear this singer, this nun sing. Went, oh, all right. And wow.
listening to your music or anyone who's listening for the first time, you, you hear these sort of world music influences, and you were mentioning Bali there, and I think you were in Ubud for a time. What was that work? Because I think you were out there with the, with the Naropa Institute and you were travelling at one stage. What was that about, and how much did that influence your music? In Ubud, there was gamelan music used for temple ceremonies, for weddings, for funerals, for New Year's, for temple odalons, and you would hear it all the time, this interlocking music which i'm sure you're quite familiar with mm -hmm. and it can't help but but get into your skin and then you think well i wonder if i wonder if guitar would work over this i bet it wouldn't with the drumming at least but, but it just might so i wrote myself a grant to go back there after i'd worked two there for two years to study drumming with a great uh a dalan a puppeteer named inuman Paksumandi. So I spent three months there, taking a, a little bus down to Denpasar from Ubud and then studying with them and then coming back in the evening and practicing. And it's fascinating, I think, again, it's something which I've always loved, and I think we both always loved, really, this very different sound of, of Asian music, the, the fact the use of drones, the use of sort of tuned percussion, the use of things like uh, the, the gamelan as well. So many of these sounds, and, of course, microtones, as well, which it's for a lot of people in Western music, even now they struggle with. Yeah, I do too. I have a friend who is a microtonal guitar player. <laughs> and it's too late for me. I think, you're out of tune, man. And he says, no, no nope. I'm playing 19, 19 microtone scale. You need to listen to more Schoenberg or Weber or, or Berg or something. It's a different sound world, isn't it? interesting. That sort of uh, cultures with repetitive ostinato, and a lot of uh, obviously coming from a uh, great many Indian and, and Asian cultures, and uh, of course the gamelan. The, the minimalism in general, if you look at uh, you know, Steve Reich and other people like that, but the influence on popular music and indeed on jazz and even big bands based on uh, you know sessions uh, are minimalist music based has become more mainstream. A few years ago, it was really sort of a, a, a little bit out there, but I, I think you were probably at the forefront of, of using some of these patterns from, from your travels, probably influencing you to do so. Do you feel that it's, uh, in terms of the style of music, that it's easier to get out there and be recognised now than it was back then when you started? Oh, that's a double-edged sword. It was easier because there were, it was easier to pay more attention to a record because there were fewer of them or fewer uh, albums. I guess we still call them albums, don't mm, we? We do. <laughs> well, I still think of side one and side two. Yep. What's, what are we going to lead off side two with? So there was, it was easier to uh, make a, a tiny splash, but now there are a lot of splashes. So it's a little bit harder. How do you think of your... I think you've done something very interesting, then, which is thinking of side one and side two, which I still think the same way again. Yeah. I think it's conceiving works, even if they're made of shorter pieces, as a whole entity, rather than just a five-minute uh, splash, which, as you say, there's too many people splashing in the pool, but nobody's thinking about putting the river together. And that's, uh, it's, I think, it's a very important thing that you conceive a, a work to, to flow. Yeah, again, I need help on that. I need Mark or other people. It's hard to play your music for other people, but I notice that if I play music when I think it's done for other people and my hands start to clench up at a certain point, that's something that needs work. So, <laughs> so it's very important to bring people in the studio and say, listen to this.
do you actually think it, of yourself it, now? Been... Do you think of yourself as a, a guitarist, composer, sound sculptor, jazzer, rocker, ambient music, all all of the above? How do you actually think of all yourself? Of well, if I had to uh, boil it down, probably kind of a folk musician because I, I don't read music very well. Highly influenced by rock, not so much by jazz. I mm. love jazz, but I can't play those chords. I can't do, I, you know, Bill Frizzell would leave me in the dust <laughs> if he picked up a guitar. Could you tell us what's what's next on the plan for you? Are you on the road? Is there another studio album coming up? Or where will the journey take you next? I'm working on another studio album. I'm trying to work again with electric guitar. Uh, I have my guitar works, my amp works, but my mind is not working. The, the electric guitar is not cooperating. <laughs> so I was driving home yesterday thinking, well, now what? And I thought, well, just get the right sound and play the right notes, and then you'll be in the ballpark. That's my challenge. Steve, it's been a terrific uh, pleasure chatting to you today. We could chat all day. I'm sure you've probably got another cup of coffee to make and some more thinking to do. Chris, you're going to run out of time. We'll probably run out of Zoom. Wonderful. Thanks for talking to you. We would indeed. Lay our hands on at least a lone motorcycle, if nothing else. Well, I have to get to Wales. I got to see my people in Wales, and then maybe we'll get out there. The the Tibbet's name is that it used to have no uh, vowels in it. T y y y y b b b b b t t t y y y s or something. And there's a lot of Llewellyns in my family too. So, so well, it's just a hop out there. If so you get I'll to Wales, absolutely, it's a short hop. Come and see us. All right. And can you choose a choose a track to play us out with? Them? Can you can you think of one from your anthology we can use to play out? Uh, the first one on the, I forget the titles of them, the first one on the uh, acoustic side, Chandogra. Chandogra, yep, that sounds about right. Chandogra, that's it. Yeah, cool. Chandogra is as chosen by Steve. Thanks ever so much for your time. Keep playing the music, we love it. Glad we got it.
Chandogra. Chosen by the man who was playing guitar himself, Steve Tibbetts, uh, ending our chat with him. We had a while back. Uh, and yes, yes, he was in Minnesota, I think. I was here in the studio on Numax Radio, and Chris was in a motorway service station by the wonders of Zoom. Uh, <laughs> I kept moving tables in the service station because the Wi Fi kept dropping out. It was a very it was, surreal interview. <laughs> it was quite surreal, but uh, wonderful to catch up with him. And I have to say, before that, there was, uh, I won't bore you with all the shenanigans, but I think that was about the third or fourth attempt to do him, and that we kept sort of, uh, we'd get something organised, then it would all fall through, and then there was another one that he couldn't make it because he had a family crisis, and then something else. So it looked like one of those interviews that was never going to happen and then it did and uh, yeah really nice guy and he was showing us we, we talked to him much longer than we heard there and he was he was in his studio with his guitar as he was chatting to us and every so often would play as you heard the odd the odd chord here and there and uh, was showing us things oh this won't work on the radio but look at this I got this when I was out in Bali and turned out to be something of a bike fan so who knows you never know he was coming over to Wales to you might see him friends and uh, ride a bike around Wales and he knew all about the TT and said he would love to do it one year so should that come about you never know as H says, but if he does, we'll make sure we ask him to bring his guitar with him. <laughs> yeah. Terrific stuff, it must be said, yeah. And uh, we do have a couple more specials lined up, uh, of which more at a later date, but I hope you enjoyed that. This week, we've enjoyed his music for a long time, particularly Safe Journey and that Northern song as well, but always there's something exciting. And as he said, he is working. I don't think you'll catch him live. He seems to have stopped touring live altogether, for the time being anyway. Who knows? But he was working, as he said there, during the interview on another live album. So, And he does it all, well, sorry, on another studio album. But it could be this year, could be next year. Who knows? Keep your eyes open. And that last release uh, is a best of, really. So if you don't have any of his music, a great place to start. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's uh, pretty much it rounded up for this week. As we say, we've got lots more interviews in the bag when we have time to sort them out. On top of which, if you're planning your diary a little bit ahead, London Jazz Festival is coming up on the horizon in November. The first, uh, second week and third week of November. Ten days over two weekends. Well worth a trip. Have a look. Lots and lots of good music on. And before we leave you, I think I've got something new for you now. A young Icelandic pianist. And forgive me, as I hope uh, anybody listening, including him, will for the pronunciation, but Valvin Snear-Hilnison, who uh, deftly mixes folk and jazz into an imperial melange of minimalism, drama and beauty, said one Icelandic reviewer. And uh, what's sure is that his debut album, Renewal, which we're going to hear a bit of, was uh, Newcomer of the Year at the 2018 Icelandic Music Awards. He's joined on this with... uh, Ari Braga-Karakasson, and as I say, apologies on flugelhorn, Johnny Mar Ingolfsson on guitar, Vladimir Kolbin Sigjonsson on bass, and Ina Sheving, who we have on the show before, on drums and percussion, Bolvin on piano and Wurlitzer. Definitely one to listen out for, if you can pronounce it. The track is hmm. called Omar Goodnesson from Renewal. Here's Balvin Snear Hunderson, and we'll see you next week. One way or another, come back, Charlie Parker, all's forgiven. <laughs> Take care.